Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Let's take us a songbook and let's stand together. Turn to 463. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I hope you can say that with confidence. If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, you surely can. Amen. 463, when the roll is called up yonder. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Sing it out with me. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise, and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the sky, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Let us labor for the master from the dawn of setting sun. Let us talk of all its wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. He's sitting back here looking at me like, I don't know who you're talking to. I'll call somebody else next time. <laughs> no. Amen. It's good to be at church with you this morning. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm glad we got some more on this side over here today. That's that's awesome. Amen. We we nearly that's about four times as many as we used to have on that side. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's good to see all of you. I'm glad you got up and came to church this morning. We're gonna meet with God today. Amen. What a wonderful blessing it is to come and meet with the Lord and and meet with one another and lift one another up, encourage one another in the house of God. It's a blessing, amen. And uh, we've already met with him this morning talking about Samuel and God God calling him uh, to serve him this morning. And Samuel said, here am I. Here am I, Lord. And you know what? That's what I hope every one of you will say if God speaks to you this morning. Here am I. Here am I, Lord, whatever you want me to do. That's what I want to do. Amen. I hope that's your heart's desire this morning because he sure wants to do something with your life. Nobody's a waste. There's no second-class citizens in the family of God. Every one of us. He died and shed his blood for every single one of us, just the same. 
Amen. I love you. He loves you, and we're glad you're here this morning. Any prayer requests? Yes, Miss Charlotte? Okay. Okay. Pam White, one of her neighbors, she was one of the first church members I ever had over 20 years ago. Uh, and hopefully we'll get her over here visit sometime. I know you are. I know you are. Anybody else this morning prayer request? This be the time to do it. You got a room full of people to pray with you. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Yes, Jackie. Okay. All right. Well, we'll lift you up in prayer. Anybody else? That's a good thing to do. Ask prayer for yourself when you need it. Yes, Mary, we hear you prayer. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes, ma'am. We sure will. Erica, how's your mom and dad? Um, they're doing good so far as I know. Um, since it was about a week ago, dad has been uh, so, but apparently he's been having them nursing to make sense. Overall, we're praying for him. Just want you to know, and lifting up Dan in prayer this morning. I know Dan's Dan rather be here than in the hospital doing therapy, but he's he's getting to do his stretches and all whatnot. He's doing this morning. So pray for Dan. Pray for the nurses too. They need all the prayer they can get when they're dealing with Dan. So y'all please pray for them and all the doctors too. Um, pray for Scott this morning. I know Scott wanted to be here. He's he's still not feeling well enough. Y'all please pray for him that he gets has some better days. Pray for pray for uh, the doctors to hurry up and find out some things to help him. He needs some help and he needs he needs a, a, a liver transplant. So y'all be praying for that. Pray that God makes that possible. Um, Remember Brenda Simmons. Brenda Simmons. She got cancer and she had a hard time. Thursday and all. All right. She is not doing chemo. Okay. Not doing pop. Pray for her and my friend Carl Cullum as well. Remember all those people in prayer. Anybody else before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? All right. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to take up this morning's offering. You dig down and give this morning, support the Lord's work here at Temple, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Robert Lee. Most Amen. You be seated. Beautiful, beautiful Zion, we're marching upward to Zion. 
God bless it, son. Time to the peaceful, happy moments grow. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in the soul. Amen. We got one more. Turn over to 490. 490. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, by the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, by the glory. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for thy spirit of life, who has shown us our Savior and scattered by the glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. By the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah. By the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, by the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May so be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, by the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, by the glory, revive us again. Hallelujah, that's what I want the Lord to do. Revive us again. We need it. Oh, my soul, we need it. We don't even know how bad we need it. That's how bad we need it. Amen? You don't never do. You never know how bad you need revival until you get it. And it's like, my goodness, I was in a mess. And he's like, how in the world did I get in such a shame? I didn't even know. Man, it's it's something. It's it's just it's just like I guess it's kinda of like getting older. You just wake up one day and went, Wow, I done done it. I didn't know I was doing it until I done got here. But anyway, but yeah, it's that's the way it is when you get backslidden and cold in your heart, you don't know it because it's done worked on you so long. Y'all pray for me this morning. I've had this on my heart this week.
paper your sins. So give your all to him in this service and let him do what he wants to in you this morning. <clears throat> let's let's go ahead. I want I'm just I'm gonna just give you an introduction. We're gonna pray and then we'll get into the Bible because we're gonna go through the whole chapter. But as you know, if you've been here the last few weeks, we have talked about idolatry. Well, we've talked about fornication. That's what we talked about. We've talked about fornication, and we've talked about marriage. We've talked about divisions in the church first, and then we went on to, to fornication, and then we dealt with marriage last week, marriage and divorce. And, and, and now we're moving on. Paul's moving on. He's addressing another issue within the church at Corinth. And all those are issues. Those are things these people were struggling with. And it's because of the society, the world that they got saved out of, and it's, they're just everywhere they go, they're drowning in this world of paganism. They're drowning in this world of idolatry and, and people just fornicating without any remorse or any concern, and, and you know, marriage and divorce being a very cheap thing. And it's just a very permissive society, and and so that's the world that we're dealing with. That's the world Paul's trying to deal with as he tries to minister to this church and bring them into a close relationship with Jesus, and it's not too unlike the world we live in today at all, because we live in an America that, uh, again, you know, this month is, according to the Sodomites, it's Pride Month, uh, which is a very dangerous thing, because God says pride goes before destruction, and uh, that ought to be a little clue. They ought to think about that, but again, they don't look at it that way, but, uh, you know, all of these things we're seeing happen in our world today, the the, the, uh, the lust of the flesh, uh, sexual perversions, uh, the, the desire for blood to kill the infants, uh, to get rid of the babies. I mean, it's just so much that, that mirrors the old world back then. And, uh, and we're going to talk about idolatry this morning, but I want you to understand that idolatry and fornication, they go hand in hand. I know it wouldn't seem that way, maybe, because you don't see people today running around falling down before statues and things of that nature. You don't see temples on every corner. We've, we've kind of, Christianity has, has changed the world over the last uh, century, and now it's changing back. But America got Christianized. You know, the, in the early days of this country, but before, I mean, you can, you can ask Miss Mel and you can ask Miss Shirley, before, before white people got to America, it was very much a pagan nation. The Indians were pagan. That's all they knew. I mean, they worshipped the great spirit, but they, they didn't know Christ. So all of their worship was, was idolatry. It was paganism. Even though their heart may have been in the right place, they can't, you can only come to God one way, and that's through his son Jesus. I don't care how, how sincere you may be. There were a lot of sincere pagans back then, too. And, and they were sincerely wrong, and there are people sincerely wrong today. But... But anyway, I, I'm going to get on a rabbit trail, and I don't want to do that. So, again, often fornication and idolatry are, mi- are mentioned together in the Word of God. Idolatry is a religion. To worship an idol is a religion. Uh, they have all kinds of rules and regulations and, and different things that they do. It's a religion. They just have the wrong God or gods, plural. Uh, many of these false gods, and all these are little g-gods. There's no big g-god but our god. But all these little g-gods, false gods, they allow fornication, or most of them do, allow fornication as even a form of worship. That's how vile this stuff is. And uh, and many of the Greek myths, if y'all know anything about Greek mythology, I hope you don't. It's not something you need to really do a lot of studying in. But most of us have heard of Zeus and Jupiter and Mercury. That's Jupiter and Mercury in the Bible. And when you got 
you got Medusa and all them different weirdo creatures and things of that nature. Matter of fact, that's where a lot of superhero stuff comes from is all that mythology. But uh, but a lot of those creatures, well, some of them, like uh, Hercules, for example. Everybody in here has heard the name Hercules. All right, okay. Hercules is a result, supposedly, of a god mating with an earth woman. And that bringing Hercules, who was half man, half God, supposed to, I think, kind of mock Jesus Christ, if you really look at it that way. Uh, but... But so anyway, and, and very well could even almost picture what happened back in Genesis chapter 6 where you have the sons of, of God and the daughters of men, which I don't fully understand all that, don't know all that for sure either, but it sure sounds similar. Uh, but let, I'll tell you what I want you to do before we get in our text this morning. Turn to Revelation 2.20. I promise you I'm going somewhere. I'm not, I'm not stammering around. I'm trying to figure out which way to go with this. Revelation 2.20, I want you to look at that. Just a second to find that. Revelation 2 and verse 20. This is Jesus writing to the church at Thyatira. Thyatira is right around the same area as uh, Athens and Corinth and all that. All right, this is Jesus writing to that church there. He said, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. What do you have against them, Jesus? Because thou sufferest, or you put up with, that woman Jezebel, this is a false priestess. This is someone, and the name Jezebel is, it may not have been her actual name, but Jezebel is a type of woman. It is a rebellious woman who jerks off anybody who tries to rule over her, and she is very carnal, very very sensual, very uh, sexual in nature. And uh, the Bible said, which calleth herself a prophetess. And what does she do? To teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Again, fornication and idolatry hand in hand. Now turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's get into it this morning. All right, now let's pray. We'll get into the message. Father, I just ask you please to help me now. Lord God, I need you this morning. Lord, I can't do a thing without you. I'd be a, I'd be a mess if I tried. Father, I know people have come today to hear from you. So, Father, I pray now and I pray you ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, you put your hand on me. Breathe on me this morning. Lord, your power, Father, speak through me the word of God, what you'd have me to say. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you praise and glory. And I pray, Father, you give them attentive ears. Lord, help them to hear and receive it. And, Lord, to hide it in their hearts. And use this for your honor and glory. Lord, I pray you do a work in somebody's life today, whether it be in the building or whether it be somebody listening in. Father, do a work in lives today. And we're going to thank you for it. We'll give you praise for what you'll do. And we thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Let me do something real quick before you start. I'm going to put this forward up. I want to draw something on it this morning. If you can see it, hopefully you can. I have to apologize ahead of time. I'm not the world's greatest at drawing on whiteboards, but we'll do the best we can. All right. Chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible says, Paul said, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. 
So he's taken us from, from fornication to marriage and now to idolatry. And where, where idols are involved, there's always going to be sacrifice to those idols. And those sacrifices are always blood sacrifices, okay? So they're bringing meat. That's a blood sacrifice, all right? And, and again, the Word of God here, look at what it says. It says, we know that we all have knowledge. Well, knowledge of what? Well, what is an idol? That's, that's kind of what we need to look at this what is an idol? Well, if we want to know what an idol is, we go to God's Word, because God's Word is going to tell us what an idol is. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 20 with me, there in the front part of your Bible, you're welcome to. If not, you can listen as I read it. But Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6, that's the Ten Commandments. Most of you are familiar with that. The Bible says there, beginning in verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out, of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I, I listen, he, he said, there ain't nobody God besides me. I'm God. Let's get that straight right off the bat. I am God and none of, nothing else is. None. No more. No other. That don't mean, that don't mean, hey, you can have 40, 47 gods as long as you make me number one. That ain't what God's saying there. He's saying none at all, okay? And now we get to the second commandment. The second commandment says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Now, let me tell you something interesting. Y'all know the Catholics have their own Bible, right? It's called the Dewey Rames Version, if y'all are not familiar with it. Uh, you shouldn't be familiar with it. There's no reason for you to be. But do you know in the, in, the, in the Catholic Bible, they take the Ten Commandments and they do away with number two. They take the Tenth Commandment and they break it into two parts. And that's how they still have Ten Commandments. But they do away with the Second Commandment. Now, now why in the world would they do that? Well, let's read it again. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. It goes on to say, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Why do they get rid of that verse? Well, probably because the Catholic Church today is full of nothing but graven images. Take a tour down there sometime. I challenge you to go down there and take a tour sometime and just look at it. Uh, it it's full of statues and graven images that God says don't make. Once upon a time, it seems like 100 years ago, when I was in, when I was in school, um, I, I, was, I was an attendee at Grace Christian Academy in Magnolia, Arkansas, we were the GCA Travelers. That was our basketball team, and we were terrible. But we, but we traveled, and because we were in a Christian school, we played other Christian schools, and we traveled all over the state, and we'd go to have tournaments, basketball tournaments, and we were terrible. But it was something for us to do. So we, we, one time we played in a tournament in Van Buren, Arkansas, by Fort Smith, and they told us it's going to be an overnight trip. Well, we don't have to pay for a motel room because we're going to be staying in a convent. 
they had found a convent that would let us stay there. Isn't that wonderful? So we stayed in the convent. If you don't know what a convent is, that's where the nuns stay. That's where all the nuns stay. Well, there weren't any nuns on the floor we were on, okay? But we stayed there, and just let me tell you that it was creepy, first of all. And when you get up and out of the, your little twin bed in the middle of the night with your Jesus statue hanging over your head, and you try to find yourself a bathroom, and you wander down these dark concrete hallways, and you get down there and go to the second corner, and all of a sudden there's a big statue of Joseph looking at you. That'll do something to you in the middle of the night now. Play look real in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, that ain't cool to get scared like that in a place like that when you're a kid. That ain't cool at all. It'll make a fool out of you is what it'll do. You'll you, you say and do all kinds of crazy things in there. Uh, but all them statues give me the creeps. I mean, I don't like all that stuff. You know, you don't feel the presence of God in that place. I won't assure you of that. At that time in my life, I was I was saved, but I was extremely ignorant of the Bible. I didn't know a whole lot. But in my limited knowledge, I still knew that all that mess was wrong. I could look at that and tell that God was telling me, Brandon, you don't need to be a part of something like this. This is not right. You know, statues of angels, statues of Jesus, statues of saints of old, wooden engravings of Jesus on the cross. You know what those things are? Those are idols. They are idols. Now, the Catholic Church, they don't call them idols. They call them images of worship. They're not idols. They're images of worship. Well, they bow down to them. They kiss on them, and they hang rosary beads on them. They pray to them, and they believe that they're heard, but yet they don't call them idols. Um, and their churches are full of them. And God said, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Don't do it at all. Well, it's no wonder they monkey around with the second commandment. They're in direct violation of it. And it also says in verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. So their church is full of idols or images that they bow down to and they worship. And they sit there and they make the sign of the cross, which somebody told me one time means my head hurts, my stomach hurts, when I do my cigarettes. I told Catherine that one time. She said, you're not funny. You think you're funny, but you're not funny. I said, well, I thought it was funny. But anyway, uh, you don't need an idol. You don't need an image to worship God. I mean, like I just got through singing, he is the great I am. Amen? The great I am don't need an image or a statue or some little wood something or other sitting there. I, I stopped off and got some donuts this morning down there, and I noticed above their, their Coke box they got their little plastic uh Vishnu or whatever it is, their little Hindu statue propped up on top of there. And I, I, I really, I, I, I was debating whether or not to ask the little woman, do you worship that thing on top of there getting dust all over it? Do y'all worship that little statue up there? I almost asked her that as I'm preaching on idols this morning. It just it just stuck in my crawl this morning as I'm getting donuts, you know. What do y'all do? Is that, that what you call God? He's sitting up on top of your Coke box? With bugs crawling on him at night? Probably. Amen. I don't know for sure, but probably. <laughs> but, you know, again, thank God I don't serve a plastic statue. Thank God I don't have a little wooden Jesus I carry around and worship and pray to. 
But in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, we all have knowledge. What he's saying is we know the true and living God, and we don't need idols in order to worship him, okay? But he goes on to say, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. I want you to make sure you get this. To have knowledge, hear what I'm going to say. To have knowledge without charity is dangerous. To have knowledge without God's love is dangerous. Knowledge can make you very prideful. It can make you contentious, want to argue with people about what you know and make you look down your nose at other people. Having charity or God's love ruling in your heart will regulate the use of that knowledge so that you do no harm to other people. You know, you know, again, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. But if you if you say it at the wrong time, that can mess everything up. I mean, you need to know how to use your knowledge appropriately. But the word charity there, the Bible says charity edifies, which means builds up. Charity is the word agape in Greek, according to Greek. It, it, it goes beyond meaning just love. It, it goes beyond just meaning kindness. The word agape, it means sacrificial giving. If you want to know what God's love truly is, you look at Calvary. You see Jesus bleeding and dying for our sins, hanging there, being punished for what you and I did, and taking it willingly in himself and suffering the punishment of his own father, punishing him in our place. That is agape. Sacrificial giving, sacrificial Love is agape. So to have knowledge without that love is dangerous. And let me just also say this, too. This is going to sound a little strange. But to have agape love without knowledge is also dangerous. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you get yourself in trouble. The devil will run over your roughshod if you don't know the Word of God. So it's important to know God by reading his word. You don't just go out in the world and just love, 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 love without knowledge, or you'll just get taken advantage of every which way in the world. You've got to know God. You can't serve some, listen to me, <clears throat> there ain't a single one of us in here that can take a job at a new place we've never worked in with a boss we've never worked for, go in there and never speak to that boss but once or two or three times and do that boss an effective job. You've got to have communication. You've got to get to know your boss so you know what your boss expects. And you know what? You and I are saved by the grace of God. We're washed in the blood of Jesus, and we belong to our Heavenly Father, and we need to know him so we know what his heart wants so that we can do what he says. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. It's not enough to know you've got to have the heart to do it as well. So you can't serve somebody effectively and not know what they want. And again, as far as all this goes about having charity, I want you to notice. Let's look at what I want to look at what Paul said, and I want you to look at what Peter said. I'll, I'll just read it to you. You won't have to turn there. Colossians three fourteen. Paul says, "And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness." Listen, that, it's, that, that don't mean you're perfect without sin. That means you're grown up. When you have God's sacrificial giving and love in your heart and life and you're working and acting according to that, you have figured it out. You have got it. You God's got you right where he wants you, and he's able to use you effectively. That's what Paul's saying. Above all things, that's the most important thing, is that you love people for God. 
all right? So, so having a bunch of knowledge and knowing a whole bunch of stuff and being able to put people in their place, step back and go, ha-ha, told you, didn't I? That's not Christian. That ain't how God, that ain't how Christ did it. Christ didn't sit there like some scoffer and pop off comments at people and sit back and with his nose in the air and how good a thing he'd said. That's not the way Jesus operated, amen, and that ain't how, that ain't how he expects us to operate either. And then the Peter, Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 4, 8, he said, and above all things, same thing Paul said. Above all things, what, Peter? Have fervent charity. Fervent means, if you picture like a roaring fireplace, it's just roaring. It's fervent. That means the flames are shooting up high. That's the kind of love he's saying, to have fervent charity. Have your heart to just beat with the love of Jesus Christ and wanting other people to be saved. He said, which is the bond of perfectness. Again, you're mature. You've grown in the Lord. And, and the Bible, no, I'm talking about that's, that's what Paul said. I'm sorry. He said, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, what does that mean? That means, look here, ain't none of us, you know, Paul talked about perfectness, but ain't none of us perfect. All of us have got little things in our life we need to show up. But here's what, he's, here's what Peter's saying. If you've got the love of God at work in your life, those little things seem very minute compared to the love of God that's pouring from your life. So let's not miss the importance of both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, stating that above all, charity or sacrificial giving of oneself, time, and substance are most important. And today, many Christians don't have any charity. And that's the truth. And that's a sad reality. Most, a lot of Christians today won't humble themselves and be there for somebody else. They're selfish. They don't seem to have time for God and those that God chooses to love. They don't seem to have enough charity to be able to disagree and still love somebody. We live in this world today where we don't see eye to eye on everything. Well, I'm done with you. That's not the way God expects it to be. We ought to have enough grace for somebody. We can still disagree with them and love them. You know what? You may be living in some kind of ghastly sin that I have absolutely abhorred by, but you need to go to heaven, and so I'm going to love you in Christ. I'm not going to love what you're doing. I'm not going to take part of it. I'm not going to support it, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to condone it, but I'm going to love you. You can still do that as a Christian. That's called being Christ-like because that's exactly what Christ did. He went to those who nobody would go to, and he loved them, and he showed them that God loved them, and they, they accepted his love, and they believed on him. That's what it takes, folks. Have enough charity to pray with those that annoy your flesh. Pray for them. You say, well, I can't stand them. Boy, they get on my nerves. Well, pray for them. Love them by praying for them. Love people in Christ that haven't attained your level of knowledge. Don't look down and say, "Well, I can't, I can't be around them. They don't, they don't know as much as I do." No, love them anyway. So as we encounter new believers, look here, we we encounter new believers who've not yet separated completely from this world. They still have things that resemble idols in their life. We're still supposed to love them, and we're supposed to teach them gently rather than proudly scolding them. You know, we don't like being scolded, do we? Neither do they. <clears throat> if we show them in love, in love what God has to say about it, hopefully the Holy Spirit then takes it from there 
and does the work of sanctification and draws them to holiness and separates them from their sin. We just need to do what we're supposed to do. I know I'm on verse 1. I'm going to verse 2. We've got to hurry. Verse 2, and if any man think that he knoweth anything, I'm, I promise you it's going to roll. We've got to just got to get past the first. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing as he ought to know. Yet as he ought to know, Paul said. Paul is saying here, if you're puffed up and you're full of pride, you don't know anything. You think you do, but you don't know a doggone thing. That's what Paul's saying. You just swole up in the head, son. That's what's wrong with you. And, and, and that's what I'd like to say to this pride crowd that's going on this month. You don't know what you're doing. You are ignorant of what you're doing. You're foolish as you can be. You're angry with God, and you're soon going to find out soon enough that he was right, and you're forever wrong, and you can't do a thing about it. I'm going to tell you this morning, I don't imagine there's a side of mine watching me, but if they are, you need to get saved. You need to believe on Christ and get born again. He'll change all that mess in your life. You give your heart to Jesus, he'll work the kinks out of your head. That's the, that's the truth. But my prayer is that they turn around and they come to Christ before it's too late. That's my prayer for them. I don't wish no nobody to be destroyed. They don't know peace because they don't know Christ. That's why. Christ is charity. There's no charity outside of Christ. They preach tolerance, but they don't understand what they're talking about. Verse 3. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. This is a very good description of a Christian. If you love God, people going to know it. If you don't love God, ain't nobody going to know it. Simple as that. But you can't hold the love of God inside if you love him. And I want you to see that everything we've been looking at has been leading up to this verse, verse 4. So he's, he's told us these things about knowledge and, and getting puffed up and having charity for a reason because he's addressing this in verse 4. He said, as concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols. So that's what we're talking about, eating things that are offered in sacrifice to idols. He said, Paul says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there's none other God but one. So things that are offered in sacrifice to idols. So as believers, when we sit down to eat, we say something like this. We say, Heavenly Father, bless this food, the nourishment of our bodies, and our bodies to your service. In your name we pray. Amen, right? Kind of something like that. I don't know how you pray exactly. but Similarly, when a pagan would sit down, or they say they'd go out in the barnyard and they'd, they'd slaughter a pig, a goat, or a lamb, or a cow, they take one of the finest cuts of that meat, usually, uh, I mean, yeah, one of the best they could find, and, and then they would take it to the temple, or they place it in, uh, they take it, place it in front of the the idol there in the temple, or if they had one of their idols in their own home, they do it in their own home, and they place it before the idol, and they they they'd say, you know, they pray and say, I'm sacrificing this, I, I sacrifice this to you, old idol, whatever your name is, and, and and then they would take it and they would eat it, okay. Now. Corinthian Christians, this happened in the city of Corinth, okay? It's been happening for a long, long time. Paul and them, they started a church in Corinth, so now this is, the church is a new thing there. So you got Corinthian, I want you to get the scene in your head. Corinthian Christians, they know, everybody they know is pagan outside the church, okay? They've been growing up in it their whole life. This is nothing to shock to them. This is normal as anything, living with pagans and around pagans. But they find themselves visiting with one of their friends, former friends, in their home, and their friend, he, he 
brings out a piece of meat that they've, they've just butchered a, an animal. And Brennan says, oh, okay, yeah, I'm glad you came over. Stay for the lunch. And he takes it over and puts it in front of his statue. And all that, all that, all that, all the statue. And takes it over and hands it to his wife to cook. Now, he's, this guy sitting at his table is a Christian now. He used to go and do those things, same things. But he don't do that anymore because he's saved now. So then they cook it and they serve it before it. Were they supposed to eat it? Would you eat it? Would you eat it? Okay. Well, let's, let's continue on here. Paul said, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. So Paul seems to be saying here that he would eat it and it wouldn't bother him. Statue that they're worshiping was a rock last year. Somebody chiseled and made a, made an idol out of. What's it going to do to that meat? How's that piece of limestone going to affect that meat? It's not. I'd be more worried about what the woman in the kitchen was going to do to it than that rock. Right? All right, verse 5. Paul said, for though there be, for though there be that are called little g gods, and men have created these little g gods, understand, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many. So, and I think the Apostle Paul's mind was probably fresh on the city of Athens that he'd just come from. And everywhere he'd gone in that city, he found idols to everything under heaven. He even found one that was there to the unknown God. And he used that shrine in order to teach them about the God of heaven. And it's in Acts 17, 22 through 25, and I ain't got time to read it, so I'm just going to skip right over it. But, let's, uh, but again, so, so he's acknowledging that, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of these little G-gods around. But verse 6, he says, but to us, so much Christians, there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So there is but one God, he said. See, Paul's in a pagan society. That's where he's at right now. He's in this, this pagan world. I don't know where my dry erase marker went to, but I need it here in a second. Uh, I can use this one. So anyway, he's in, this, he's in this pagan society, and this society is built on pagan worship, worshiping these, these idols or these little g-gods. And there are thousands of these gods, and every one of these, uh, everybody, let me say, everybody these pagans who worships these many thousands of pagan gods, everybody's tolerant of everybody else's gods. What are you doing going off to worship our gods today? Okay, we're going to worship ours. Y'all have a great day. I mean, it's kind of, they were just friendly about it. No big deal. Nobody cared. And and that's that's what's called polytheists, okay? They have poly meaning many and theists meaning God believers. Atheists or atheists, non-God believers, okay? But anyway... The one thing that they were intolerant of was somebody else saying, your gods are false. Here is the one true God, and the rest of them are all wrong. They couldn't stand that. Boy, that got their blood boiling. And that's the message that the Jews had been preaching among them. So they hated the Jews because they said there's one God, his name is Jehovah, and your gods are wrong. So the Jews had had that message for a long time among them, and they hated the Jews for that. And now along comes Paul and the Christians, and they said, hey, there's one God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And at that time, the world's under the control of the Roman Empire. And Caesar at that time had been proclaiming that he was God. And you could worship any other God that you wanted to in the world as long as if you ever came before Caesar, you had to bow down before him and say, you are my God. And if you didn't do that, off with your head or something of that sort. Christians died as a result of not bowing down and proclaiming Caesar to be their God. How did they die? They threw them to the lions in the Colosseum, and they'd raise a big door, and the lions who hadn't been started to rush out there and tear them to shreds right before a Colosseum of people who would cheer as they were ripped limb from limb and their guts thrown out all over the arena. <clears throat> How else? Well, they tied them to the stake and piled wood around their feet and set it on fire and burned them alive. They were coated in wax and used to light the streets. Amazing what happened as a result of people believing on Christ back in that day. It was the unpardonable sin to the pagan to hear somebody say there's only one God. Unpardonable in the eyes of the people, unpardonable in the eyes of the government. So to be a Christian in that day was basically against the law. We are so soft as a society today. We're not ready for hard times today in America. I can assure you that. People are going to wilt under tyranny, going to wilt. God help us if we have to face it. Paul says there is but one God. Well, what does God say about it? Well, let's look to what God says. Isaiah 45, 5 and 6. Here's what God said. I am the Lord, and there is none else, and there is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. In other words, I put you together, even though you didn't know me. There, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I think he's serious about that. And then, and then down in verse 22 and 21, that same chapter. Tell me and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from the ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord and there is no God beside me, a just God and a Savior? A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Chapter 43 of Isaiah, verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Israel for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Chapter, uh, chapter 43, verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Isaiah 43, 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Now listen to Luke 2, 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now listen to 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And finally, Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's some funny language in all that. 
Let me kind of show you what I'm talking about. And this panel works. I hope it will. God, okay, and you have God, the Father, and you have God, the Son, and you have God, the Holy Spirit, okay, but it's all one God. Man, we're looking at the Trinity. How do you explain the Trinity? Well, the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? But they're all God. They're not three gods. They're all the same God. Okay? So when God says, I am the only Savior, back in the Old Testament, he's not trying to say, well, Jesus is not the Savior. Okay? Let me explain it a little bit a little bit differently. You can take you and I and do us the same way. Because why? We're made in the image of God, right? Isn't that right? Help me, somebody. So me... Okay, I have a soul. My soul is me. I also have a body. My body is me as well. And I also have a spirit. I am what's called a triune being. You know what the Bible says? I am made in the image of God. Okay, so I have a soul which represents the Father. I have a body which represents the Son, and I have the Spirit, which represents the Holy Spirit. Amen? So when God's speaking and he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm God, I'm the only Savior, he's not lying. He is. And, and when he came, and the Bible says that God was manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. It's as plain as, as it is. Amen? So anyway, let's get back to our text, and we're almost done. I know it don't seem like it, but we are. All right? Verse 7, he says, and here's the problem. Here's the problem in our text, okay? Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. Everybody don't understand what I just explained to you and just showed you. For some, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So the Bible says there's not in every man that knowledge. Paul's keenly aware that rocks and brass statues and those made of wood had no power over him whatsoever in this world. None whatsoever. I walked in there and bought them donuts, and you know what? That little thing with all the arms going like this didn't do nothing to me. I didn't feel a bit funny looking at it. I've never bowed down to a uh, Hindu statue, but still, it's looking at me, and I'm looking at it, waiting on my chain or waiting on my, my donuts. It ain't done a thing. To, it's nothing. It's a piece of plastic, right? I ain't worried a bit about it. Paul wasn't worried about none of that either. But, you know, Paul's also aware that some of these idols are even backed up by devils, and they are. There's demonic activity, devil activity associated with idols. Anything to do with anything pagan or devilish or the occult, there's demonic activity. So, no, we don't need to dabble in that stuff. We don't need to open ourselves up to that kind of stuff. But I want to give you a scenario. Uh, A young man who's a regular attendee at a pagan temple, he gets born again saved. Okay, Paul leads him to Christ. He gets saved, starts going to the first church of Corinth. And uh, and before believing the gospel, 
on a regular basis, on a normal basis, he'd bring a cut of meat in and he'd bow down before a statue, swearing his devotion to that pagan god before going and reveling in the sins of the flesh. Now he got saved. He's saved now. He's born again. Blood washed. He wants nothing more to do with that old life. I'm changed. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm not a pagan anymore. I don't worship idols anymore. I don't want nothing to do with that old life. He would not be able to bear the thought of sitting down and eating with another pagan, the flesh that that pagan had just offered to an idol the way he used to do it way back then. He couldn't, couldn't, it would wound his conscience so deep, he'd feel like he's betraying God. Paul ain't never done nothing like that before in his life. He didn't feel any bondage. He didn't come out of that life. So therefore, he didn't feel any pull of it. But somebody who was young and, and the Lord who'd come out of that, it, w- it would destroy them. And you sit back and say, you know, again, knowledge puffs up. You sit back and say, are you silly? Are you serious? That is a rock. Look, if I hit it with a hammer, it's going to break off. It ain't real. You can't do nothing. It's a rock. But to them, that was their God. And now they've turned from that, and they don't want to turn back. So Paul says this in verse 8. He said, but meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Maybe some of them were eating that meat offered to idols as a test of faith to show others how spiritual they were. Look what I can eat. This is not going to affect me. I'm very, very spiritual. Maybe they were doing it like that. I don't know. But we ought to let this be a reminder how ugly pride can be. Because if somebody was doing that to kind of show somebody else, look at here. Look, you're being so ridiculous. I mean, and you're, you're hurting them. Because, that, again, you may again, you may be able to do something like that, and you feel fine because you're spiritually mature and you have, no, you have no qualms whatsoever. That's not going to affect you at all. But for you to step back and do that, what are you doing to the one who is affected by it? And, and for us to maybe we've been saved, and I'm using this compared to us, for us who've been saved for a long time and we've gotten victory over a lot of things of the flesh and we see a young believer who's still struggling, for us to turn our nose up at them, how, how how ugly is that? Because once we were there too. We were struggling with things in our life at one time. And we need to be mindful of that. Verse 9, Paul says, but take heed. But take heed. That means be careful. Lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Have you all ever heard the phrase, somebody being so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? You ever heard that? Well, y'all, if you hadn't heard that one, you ought to put that one in your repertoire. Because some people are like that. Again, they're so heavenly minded, they never get their hands dirty. They, they never get down on the level of somebody who's really going through something. Because, again, they don't want to get their hands dirty. Because they're better than that now. Listen, that ain't the way. Paul Paul was constantly getting his hands dirty. Paul had no problem getting as grimy as he had to for the Lord Jesus. Paul wound up in prisons and dungeons quite often. He got plenty grimy for the Lord Jesus. But again, take heed, lest this liberty become a stumbling block. Be careful you don't get so squeaky clean you can't get your hands dirty. But also don't get so loose with your liberty that you entice others to sin and destroy their walk with God. Let me let me put this on the ground level where we can understand it. Maybe you can have that one can of beer once a month when you mow. I just I, I'm talking. I'm sitting in I'm sitting in a 
Independent Baptist Church in Paris, Texas, 20-something years ago, visiting on a Sunday night. And the guy across the aisle from me began to wax eloquent about how he has a beer when he mows the yard. That's the only time he ever drinks one. Now, why do you feel the need to tell me that? I don't know to this day why he told me that. And all I could think was, so you look like an idiot every time you mow. That's really what I thought. Because, again, uh, again I'll just use that guy for example. He, he Maybe he'll mow once a month. But every time he gets out there on the mower, he gets him a, uh, he gets him a beer. And he, he mows and drinks his beer. And you know what? He may not It may not bother him one bit. He may not have another desire for another swaller till the next time he mows. And that's great. But you know what? He may have a neighbor who's a, who's a former alcoholic, and every time he sees that guy on his mower, he's drinking a beer, and he knows he's a Christian. And in his mind, in his mind, you always got a beer in your hand every time he sees you. And you draw him right back into that old life, and you didn't even know you were doing it. I don't go to the movies. I don't go to the movie theaters. If you go, I ain't mad at you, but I'll tell you this. There's a reason I don't go. And I don't think you'll go to hell for going, okay? I don't. I, I really don't. I, but but I think you're flooding your mind with garbage. You're bathing your mind in absolute putrid garbage every time you go. I will tell you that. I think you're accept, accepting godless people's points of view. You're watching the opinions and the thoughts and the and the schemes of godless Men who, they hate God, they despise God, they despise our Savior, and you're flooding your mind with their ideas, and you're going, oh, that's wonderful. I love that. I know you don't like that. I don't care. That's just the way it is. But if you're you're watching TV, watching sitcoms, you're doing the same thing. You're watching reality TV, you're doing the same thing. You're You're bathing your mind in putrid garbage. Uh, again, I don't go to the movies. Uh, it's, it's, you know, there might be a, somebody say, well, they play a good movie up there once in a while. You all go to the movies sometime. I want to hurt you go to the movies sometime. Why don't you go to the movies? We like to go to the movies. You don't go to the movies. Everybody, I've noticed, well, if you tell somebody you don't go, they just, I don't understand why you don't go to the movies. Well, I like the movies. I know I'm an old-fashioned, old-timey dinosaur, country preacher. I oh, don't want to go to the movies. You got something against the movies. What's wrong with him? Well, they might be a good, they might have a fantastic movie on but I don't go, and here's why. Because regardless of what decent movie they might be accidentally showing, I'll be there when they show a lot of garbage, a lot of crap on the other screens as well. And I don't want to give the other Christians who show up there a reason to say, oh, it's okay to go to the movies. That preacher, I've seen him at the movies. Ain't nothing wrong with going. That's why I don't go, besides the fact that I don't want to bathe my mind in future garbage. Okay. Verse 10. We ain't got but a few more. We're almost done. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple. Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? See, again, you can have full knowledge of who God is and that the meat sacrificed to idols doesn't have any voodoo power on it that would corrupt your body if you ate it. You can know that. You're clearly aware that God is the only one true God. There's none other. You can sit there and eat that meat and enjoy its flavor and tenderness and say, man, that's some good meat. But notice it says, show not the conscience of him which is weak. Now, that weak, that doesn't mean what we think it means. It doesn't mean that man has a lack of self-control. It just means the man doesn't know as much. He doesn't know what you know about God. He doesn't, he hasn't had that, 
that 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 relationship yet with with God that you have. He doesn't understand that that idol over there ain't the boogeyman that's going to get him. He hasn't grown that far. Since he's come from that life and he doesn't have a full understanding of God yet, he's just growing in the Lord. He only has, he has salvation in Christ. And he sees other believers openly partaking in the eating of meat that was sacrificed to these idols in this place where fornication and everything else is promoted. It may wound his conscience and drive him back to his old ways and say, there's no point in trying. Everybody else is doing this. Nobody's separated. They can do it. Don't even bother them. See, God takes into consideration things that we might not take into consideration. Verse 11, And through thy knowledge shall thy weak brother perish for whom Christ died. What does that mean? It means it literally could lead to a life of self-destruction. Again, again, you may not, like I said, the guy watching the guy Mo was drinking his beer. Again, that may be the only beer he drinks all month long, and he may not even get a buzz from it. But to that man watching him, that may be the excuse he needs to fall back into a life that's going to destroy him. Verse 12, but when you sin so against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience. Read the next four words. You sin against Christ. I suppose a believer would be smug and say, well, they just shouldn't be so doggone sensitive. But they don't realize that this strong believer offended the Lord Jesus Christ. You have offended the Lord Jesus Christ with your smugness. Verse 13, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now, I'm going to say something to you. The Bible is not promoting vegetarianism. Paul is not saying, I want to be a vegetarian. What Paul is saying is, I'll give up whatever it takes in order to see people come to Christ and to see people grow in Christ. If I've got to give up something that's a pleasure to me, something I enjoy, in order that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what kind of – I mean, that's not really that big of a sacrifice, is it? I mean, Jesus Jesus gave his life. He gave his blood. He gave everything. He didn't hold back anything in giving when it came to you and me. He didn't say, you know, well, they can figure out their own way. No, we couldn't. We had to have him. We got to believe on him. And he did everything that was necessary. Again, so when we see somebody that we want them to, we want them to come to Christ, we need to be careful how we express our living. Yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, I, ain't I, I can't go to hell. Let me put it to you like this. I cannot go to hell. Even if I decided today, got my fist balled up, shook him at God, and told God I didn't want to go to heaven with him, I still can't go to hell because I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Now, I would never do that. I would never say that. But if I did, that doesn't change what Christ did to me. Okay? I can't change that. I can't mess that up. But because I can't mess that up, that doesn't give me a license to live however I want to live. We don't have a license to sin. God didn't die for Christ did not die for my sins so that I could go and sin a whole bunch more and not worry about it. That's like spitting in Jesus' face every day of my life. That's laughing at what he did for me, mocking him. Oh, no, no. That's the misery in a short life, I suppose, too. What, is, what this whole passage is about is about thinking of others before yourself. 
considering others. Isn't that what Christ did? He loved, hey, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Talk about considering others. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Paul says, you know what? If me eating that meat sacrificed to them idols is going to, is going to cause people to, to, to not grow in the Lord, I need to quit eating meat sacrificed to idols, and, not, and, I, and I need to see it as a thing I need to leave alone. Listen, if, if me going somewhere and being, and, and being in a crowd, and I know that it ain't going to affect me. Hey, listen, just because it won't affect me doesn't mean that my being there won't influence others. I need to watch where I go. I need to watch the things that I do. I wonder this morning, is, is God speaking to you about some, some something you got in your life, some, some habit of doing something, going somewhere, uh, something you know that makes the Lord look bad? Is there, is there somewhere you go you wouldn't take Jesus in their arm and arm with you? Is there something that you do that you wouldn't, you wouldn't do in front of Jesus? Well, you know what you need to do? You need to bring that to God, and you need to say, God, forgive me. Give me victory over this. I don't want to hurt somebody else. I don't want to keep other people out of the kingdom of God. Let's stand together. If God's working on you this morning, I, I urge you to come and bring it to him. That's the message this morning. I believe that's what God would have us to hear. So I'm going to urge you during this invitation, if God's dealing with you, don't put God on the back burner. Don't say, God, we'll deal with this later. God's trying to get you to deal with it, man. That's what this time is for. God has spoke to you. Now God wants you to respond. I understand. Some of you can't get up and down. You're not able to. I understand that. You pray right where you're at. But if you're able to get up and down, hey, listen, that's what these offers are for. We need to do this with God. Father, I just pray this morning. You bless this invitation. Father God, I just pray that, Lord, that you, that you, Holy Spirit, that you do a work in, in people's hearts. Lord, that you lead them to the right decision. Father, I pray, Lord, that, that Lord, that there's, there's, there'll be very soul conscious, Lord, and, and realize that everything we do affects so many of us. And Lord God, I pray that you put your finger on something, Lord, do a problem to come and do business with you. Lord, we'll just, we'll just praise you and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 337. Trust and obey. That's like That's a bitch for God.
I just want to ask you this morning, and you be honest. Did God put his finger on something in your life this morning? If he did, would you slip your hand up? Nobody looking. God put put his finger on something in my life that I'm that I, I need to change. If he did, ain't no shame in holding your hand up. He already knows it. Amen. He already knows it. And I'm not gonna come to you. Listen, don't let this day go by without you and God doing some business over that. Come to him and take turn it over to him. If you're having trouble letting go of it, pray for strength to let go of it. Ask God to give you victory and to deliver you. He is the deliverer, and he will set you free from bondage. He'll set you free from things that will hurt you and others, and he will give you, he'll give you freedom in your life, and you'll know what real liberty is. Father in heaven, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, this morning. I thank you for our church. Lord, I thank you for these who have come to hear the word of God today, and I, I know you've spoke to hearts. And, Lord, I'm going to ask you to, to, to not let up as we leave here. Continue to speak. Continue to lead us and direct us. And, Lord, I pray some decisions be made for you today. Lord God, I pray as people, days wind down, Lord, they consider being back in the house of God tonight for the evening service at 6, Father. Lord, I got a message for them that you led me to preach tonight. So I pray, Father, they be back in, in, the, in the seats, Lord, to hear what you have to say again to them. Lord, thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for the crowd that's here. Lord, I pray you bless each one as they go back to their homes. And, Lord, again, we do lift up those with special health needs. Pray, Lord, you meet with them comfort and give them the grace that they need to overcome, Lord, and to endure. Lord, I just thank you for our, our people. And, Lord, I pray your blessing be upon them as we go to our homes today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.